0: If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Proverbs 7, and then once you turn there, I want you to grab your seatbelt, and I want you to buckle up, because this is going to be a message today, okay? We're going to cover a lot of ground, and there's a variety of things we're going to touch on today that are a bit in that area of sensitivity, And so it's been on my heart this week to be able to share with you things uh, with grace and truth and that God's uh, spirit would speak through his word and uh, cause us to grow closer to him uh, in the whole process of that. And um, the message today is entitled, Purity Worth Guarding. Purity Worth Guarding. And we're in Proverbs 7. Let me pray to kick this message off, and then we'll get right into the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time right here as we settle our hearts to receive from you. I pray that you would speak through your word in a very powerful way. Lord, I'm asking that you would use me to communicate very clearly your heartbeat today, your heartbeat on the subject of purity, your heartbeat for people your love for them, that no matter what we've walked through, no matter the things we have have maybe uh, gone through, the decisions we've made, whatever it is, Lord, your grace is calling us, and you desire us to live in a way that is pure. And so I pray that you would just cause our hearts to be in attention here to your voice and that you would transform our lives. And, Lord, I pray over our children's ministry, I ask for a blessing on their time today as well. May they grow in the Word. May they grow in their relationship with Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Proverbs 7 here, starting in verse 1. It says, Follow my advice, my son. So this is King Solomon writing to his son. It says, Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instruction and live. As you guard your own eyes, tie them on your fingers as a reminder, write them deep within your heart, love wisdom like a sister, make insight a beloved member of your family, let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman, from listening to the flattery of a promiscuous Woman. So the first five verses here is a very strong warning from King Solomon to his son. We have a warning right here. And I want to just take a moment to focus in here on verse 2, where it says, Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Everybody say, guard. 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 There's an importance to this word and recognizing that there's action that has to be done on our part in order to guard ourselves, to guard the instruction that's been given to us and to guard our eyes. And so when it comes to a topic like this of purity, specifically in the area of sexuality, I think it's good to look at what the Bible has to say. What does purity look like? What does God's design look like as far as sexuality? And so, if you will, stay in Proverbs 7, but then just flip your Bibles to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. We're just going to see what the Scriptures say regarding sexuality. We know in Genesis 1, there's the story, the account of creation. And each day, God is speaking new things into creation. And then on day 6, there's something very specific that happens. In Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us, that being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of all of them present right there at creation. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So verse 27, it says this. God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God he created them male and he created them female. That's it. He created them male. He created them female. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In verse 31, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. That is God's design. You're created as a man or you're created as a woman. There is no confusion with that from God's point of view. But from the culture's point of view, oh my goodness. This is all twisted. But this is what God says. Now, let's keep rolling here on God's commands, his instructions, his guide, For our life in Genesis chapter 2. So go to the next chapter. And I want you to look at verse 19. We're going to look at how God created woman. So God had created Adam from the dust of the ground. And then in verse 19, it says, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So in verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. I'll just pause this for a second. I want to just do a shameless plug for our men's ministry here for a second. On June 11th we're going to be having what's called our first annual Adam's Rib Fest. And so there's a bunch of men that are going to be barbecuing ribs, and so after church, we'll all partake in eating ribs, and there'll be a judge, a panel, and they'll pick whose ribs taste the best, called Adam's Rib Fest. That's where the name comes from right there, Genesis 2. You're welcome, Pastor Dave. All right, come with me now. Verse 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. That is why a man, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Again, God's design, man and woman. That's how he's created them, and now you see The institution of marriage. This is what God has created. And he says, it is between a man and a woman. This is my design. This is what God has created. Okay? So as it says, the two shall become one flesh. I want you to just say this word with me. Binding. 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 The two will become one. Okay? So that's what it says at the beginning. Now, I told you, as the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all there at the beginning. Let us create man in our image, okay? When Jesus comes from heaven to this earth, and he's doing ministry, in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10, Jesus lays out the plan that God has for marriage, And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. Everybody say, binding. 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 And then the apostle Paul. So this is 30 years after Jesus' ministry. Hey, We have an opportunity to say, you know what? That was God's design then, but there's some things that have changed, Right? Perfect opportunity to say that. I mean, Jesus has already gone to the cross. We're here with the new covenant, this age and era of grace. God loves people. And so because he loves everybody, then let's change his design for marriage. And here's what it says in Ephesians 5, 31 through the Apostle Paul. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. Everybody say, binding. 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 This is God's design. It was his design 6,000 years ago when he created all things. It was his design when 4,000 years later Jesus walked this earth and he told people this was God's design. And then 30 years after that, the Apostle Paul puts those words down for us in the book of Ephesians, this is God's design. Man, woman, and God has created marriage. Now here's the thing. Sexual purity is a gift from God and it's in the context of his design between a man and a woman within the context of marriage. Anything outside of that, anything outside of that is sexual immorality. So now we've laid the groundwork and Solomon says, guard my instructions do not let the truth of God's word leave your spirit and begin to question whether or not God means what he says. Our culture tries to blow that truth to pieces. You see it all around. It's all people want to talk about anymore. is pronouns. Right? Our culture is just bombarding us with this nonsense God has laid out his plans, his design. We're to guard his instructions. And then it says to guard our eyes. Okay, so while you're in Genesis, you're in Genesis 2. We're going to back up just a little bit. I want to show you something that when I was um, listening to a message recently, um, the, the particular individual that was speaking was talking about something in Genesis 2. And my eyes began to wander during the message. How many of you, maybe you don't want to raise your hand on that, okay? But I, I went to another section of Genesis 2 while we were there. And I read something and I thought, oh my goodness, look at this. So in Genesis 2 verse 7, I want you to see something. It says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostril, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Now, verse 9, this is the one right here. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, how do you know if something's beautiful? You've got to see it with your eyes. Most of the time, that's what we're talking about. And God created all of these trees to come up from the ground. And it says all of these trees, they were beautiful. And they had delicious fruit. All kinds of trees. Okay? So now go with me to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is a really difficult chapter because that's where the curse of sin comes into the equation. God created everything, and it was very good, right? And so here, Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden. And in verse 1, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, he begins to question God's word, and he plants this seed of doubt in her mind. He says, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And she goes, well, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And the serpent says, you, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And so now she feels like she's missing out. And in verse 6, it says, the woman was convinced. So she begins to question God's word, and now she's convinced. I'm missing out. And then in verse 6, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave it to her husband that was with her, and he ate it too. She sees this one tree that is so beautiful, and the part that I'm like, hello, is in chapter 2, verse 9. God made all kinds of beautiful trees. Why did you have to focus in on that one? That's what temptation does is to take our eyes off of God's design. And to put it on things that Satan would want us to, to be lured into because he knows it's going to cause a world of pain and suffering. Verse 7 At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig trees together to cover themselves. Sin enters the equation, and because of that decision, death enters into the equation. The only reason why we have death is because of this moment right here in Genesis 3 when the curse of sin came upon the earth. And so with this verse in Proverbs, now you can go back to Proverbs 7 here. Guarding God's instruction, the next part said guard your eyes. God had laid out all these beautiful trees, but she focused on the one that she was not supposed to. I think of Matthew 6 Got Questions emphasizes this, this website, Got Questions, where Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. It says in this passage here, Jesus describes the eye as a lamp which lights up the entire body. And our eyes are an entrance to our hearts and our minds. And they provide a doorway to our very soul. So it's important to guard our eyes and to protect them and to set up boundaries and to be able to focus on the good things that God desires us to focus on. A few weeks ago, we were at the Iron Sharpens Iron men's event, and I went to a breakout session that was simply entitled How to Help People That Are Struggling With Sexual Addiction. And I go to this breakout and I get handed a packet of information, and this man by the name of Steve Etner just begins to go right through this thing. And you're just sitting there and you're going, Oh my goodness, the world we live in. Did you know that every single day the website Google has 8.5 billion searches? So whether you're wanting to, you know, fix a part on your car, you can type that in there, you know, or if you're just curious how tall Brock Purdy is, you can Google that, right? Okay? So all kinds of searches go into this Google search, okay? 8.5 billion every day, okay? One out of every five Google searches is for pornography, 20% of those searches, are for pornography. The stats tell us that seven out of 10 men will struggle with pornography around once a month. Perhaps they they go to something or they feel this strong temptation and then we could pick on men with this, but there's four out of 10 women on this particular topic as well. And so you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, so as a pastor, we have lots of people And if these stats are kind of helping me be able to see maybe some of the struggles people are going through, that tells me that there are people in our congregation that struggle with sexual sin and sexual temptation. It's rampant in the church, and this is what was told to me at this breakout session. Only 7% of churches are actually offering ministries to help people with this area. And to flip it the other way, just to help us understand, is 93% of churches aren't helping people in this particular area. And so I went because I want to help equip the congregation. And as I hear that stat, I'm like, we have got to give people the resources they need. We've got to equip people. And so some things that have been brewing on my heart for a few years, and the elders, we've been talking about this, is what does it look like if here at this church we had a freedom ministry that was constantly meeting? And if people need help being set free, and it's not just sexual addictions, it could be any kind of addiction or any area of your life that you're like, I need to be set free so we're praying through that. We're trying to work through that, and we're trying to gather the resources. And the other thing is, is as I'm saying that, if there's somebody listening right now, and you're going, I think God may want me to lean into that ministry to help. Just let me know, because that thing is, it's building. And we're hoping to be able to have something like that very soon that's meeting consistently so people can find freedom. All right, Proverbs 7. Now we're going to see something that Solomon watches. King Solomon's watching this go down, starting in verse 6. He says, While I was at the window of my house, looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. And he was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening, as deep darkness fell. And the woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. Now here, let's just stop the car as we're reading this, okay? But to point out that she was dressed for this occasion. She was trying to lure this man in. And so recognizing that the way we present ourselves can either snap Someone into a, a trap, or it can lead someone to think about pure things. And so I know this might sound like I'm picking particularly on ladies, but I just thought I'd insert First Peter three here, where it says, Your body should not come or your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Okay. But rather, verse four, it should be that of your inner self, the, the beauty that God brings into your life. You do not need to flaunt all the different parts of your body that would be a stumbling block to men. So just prayerfully consider the things that you wear and how that might trigger men that have a struggle in this particular area. Okay, verse 11. Back to this adulterous woman. She was the uh, brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. In other words, she just, she just came from church, And I know I, I, I sort of said some things about the, the messed up culture that we live in. But there's a problem when the, cult, when the church starts to, to look like the culture. And we can go through the motions. You can attend this service today. You can hear a message like this and you can walk out and nothing's changed in your life. In fact, you just go right back into the sin. Do not take the grace of Jesus Christ for granted. God desires to redeem you from sin, not that you be stuck in it. Let's not go through the motions. Verse 15, she goes, you're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you and here you are. And my bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses. She is just tickling his ear, telling him everything that that he would want to hear. And then she says this, for my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip, and he's taken his wallet full of money with him, and he won't return until later this month. And that's where the verse of the week comes in here. Proverbs 10, verse 9, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes the crooked path, you will be found out. They think they're doing something in secret. Numbers 32, 23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Genesis 4, verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desires will have you. So verse 21, so she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap waiting for the arrow that would come to pierce its heart, and he was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den. Of death. Again, the warning that Solomon gives to his son here at the end of this passage. Do you remember when I had you say the word binding? Okay, When you consider the stats I just told you about people viewing things like pornography, when it comes to feelings of sexual arousal, there are hormones that are released in an individual. This is what's going on in your body. And as there's hormones being released, and there's nine hormones being released when this is happening. And it's the only experience that you can have where all nine will be released at once. Okay? It's a powerful thing. And it's a gift that God has created within the context of his design. Okay, but here's the thing. When you start to have sexual experiences outside of God's design, when five of those nine are released together, they create a binding and they will attach memories to the things that you're experiencing. And those memories can be like strongholds that you will carry in your life for years and years and years. So God's design of purity. And when we begin to look other places, there is something going on in you, and you may not realize this, but you are creating strongholds in your life. The word stronghold means a train of thought. Your mind is like Grand Central Station. Trains are coming in and out all day long. And when you have these Binding experiences, things that attach you to these experiences, these trains and these tracks are laid in your mind as you're viewing these things, as you're having these kinds of experiences. And so these strongholds that happen in our life, whatever train you get on will lead you to a destination, essentially will guide your decisions. And so... To be set free in this area, we have to come to the Lord and ask him to renew our mind and to be healed and to be set free. So there's a strong warning in this passage, and something interesting with all of this is the ending and the warning that these kinds of things will lead to death. The Bible is very clear, the wages of sin is death. And so if we go out and we live like the world wants us to live and we just commit ourselves to the way we want to live and we don't regard the ways of God and we just do things our own way, be warned that lifestyle in the end will lead to death. Not just a physical one, but a spiritual one. But what is also important is to see in the scriptures here that King Solomon was watching this whole thing go down and this man walk into this woman's house to his own demise. Many theologians believe that King Solomon had this man and that woman executed because the penalty for adultery at that time was a death sentence. This is serious stuff for them, but yet the lure of lust created this predicament, Because the king was watching. Think about that. The king was watching. You and I, we know that Jesus is the king of all kings, and God sees everything. You do not do anything in secret. The king is watching. And it'd be very easy to hear a message like this and walk out of here feeling shame walk out of here feeling condemnation, be like, I'm just a failure. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. I don't know what I'm going to do. Man, God is watching me, and I just feel so ashamed. And I mean, you can walk out of here feeling that, but I want you to hear this thing as we close. In John chapter 8, a bunch of religious people go and find a woman in the act of adultery. And they bring her out and they drag her out and place her in front of Jesus. Perhaps you've heard this story. And they're beginning to accuse her. And remember, the death penalty is a part of committing adultery. And they're like, What are you going to do with this woman, Jesus? And so Jesus draws something in the ground in the sand. We don't fully know what he drew, whether. It was a line or whether it was the Ten Commandments or it's possible he was writing names down of some of these religious leaders that were trying to accuse this woman of her sin when meanwhile, how did they know where to go to get this woman? They had sins of their own. We don't know what it was, but Jesus said, he who is, out, who is without sin, he said, cast the first stone. And one by one, these men began to drop these rocks And walk away. Jesus knows what we're doing. He knows the things we're involved in. And even with this woman completely out in the open in public because of her sin, Jesus meets her right where she's at. And he says, is there anyone left here condemning you? And she says, no. And then Jesus said, Well, neither do I. Look at the grace of God. He's there to set this woman free. Now, we could stop the story right there. But Jesus also says one more thing to her He says, Go and sin no more. So this message comes to us, and we go, What's our response? The first response is, if you're struggling with sexual immorality, understand the root. The root is very much a heart problem. Here's a few uh, quotes here from the breakout I went to. The problem we all struggle with is not sexual sin. In fact, that's a byproduct of the real problem. The real problem is a worship disorder. It's not sexual sin that I struggle with. It's a worship disorder. When King Me is sitting on the throne of my heart, I will worship King Me. That's the problem. And then he said this, I do what I want because in my heart I want what I want. I cannot change my behavior until I first change my heart. There's a heart problem. And so one of two ways with the heart problem. The first one is if you're saved and you're struggling with this, you have a pride problem because you want what you want. And God wants to set you free, but are you willing to let him deal with that? The other thing, though, is if you're not a believer, one of the reasons why you have a heart problem is because God hasn't changed your heart. And that's what happens at salvation. God gives you a new heart. But then the other thing to consider is that if you are a believer and you struggle in this area, you may have what I explained earlier as a stronghold. And I explained to you the, the chemistry going on in the mind and the hormones and all of that, but also understand there is something going on in the spiritual realm. And the enemy comes, and the word "demonized" means to be, like, to ride. And so there's a spiritual battle going on and we, we fight these, these tracks we've laid in our mind and we also fight all these temptations and the stronghold that's in our life spiritually. You have a stronghold and you need to find freedom. And so listen to these three things. First off, if you're struggling in this area, you need to tell somebody. Tell somebody because what you're doing there is you're bringing the issue to light and that might be the hardest thing that you've ever done in your entire life tell somebody. The second thing is is to go find some accountability. We make poor decisions. And so to find a trusted believer in Christ and say, I need help in this area. Will you help me to be accountable? And the last thing is, is to resource yourself. There are all kinds of great resources. There's the scriptures. Fill your life with the scripture. There's all kinds of podcasts and books and messages out there that can help you Walk in that area of freedom. And one area in which you can equip yourself, again, is is to be gathering with some people that are seeking freedom with you. And so with a message like this, there's a variety of things we're thinking about. It's awfully quiet. And the looks I'm getting from you guys is like, wow, this was serious today. Okay? Okay? This wasn't your light and fluffy message, but here's the thing. God is serious about sin, and he's serious about purity. And you're not looking at a perfect man in this area. I'll be vulnerable with you in that. You're looking at a marred man that's been redeemed by the grace of God. God wants you to walk in purity. He wants to deliver you from these areas that, that cause us to be caught up in the ways of the world. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we've covered a lot of ground. It's important to guard your instruction to know the design that you have for sexuality. The design of one man, one woman within the context of marriage. That's your heartbeat. Help us to be people that that would honor your instruction to honor your word. And you do this for our well-being. And sexuality is a gift within the context of marriage. And Lord, as we Ask your spirit to search our heart in this area. Lord, there's people you want to set free. Set free from strongholds in their life. Perhaps set free from from sin because they haven't yet received you as savior of their life. And so right now, we take a moment here to encourage anyone... To lean into Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to you to receive Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, I want to encourage you to pray with me right now in your heart and just say, Jesus, I need you. And I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin. I pray that you would cleanse me, make me new. Put your spirit in me and a new heart so that I can walk in your ways. and Help me to live a life of purity. Thank you for this gift of salvation by grace through faith. And Father, for all of us listening, as you desire us to be pure, you desire us to be holy, If there's any area of our life, Lord, that you desire for us to to bring to you so that you can help us, you can set us free. I pray right now we would just bring that to you and say, Jesus, I need help. I need your guidance. I need your grace. I need to be set free. Renew my mind. Fill my life with your word. Help me to walk in your truth. I pray that you would equip me and heal areas, heal these experiences, heal the thoughts. And help me to walk, guarding your instructions, guarding my eyes. Lord, I think of this quote from the gentleman at the breakout session that I went to. Where he said, every response to temptation is either an act of worship unto God or it's an act of war against God. And your word tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices unto you and that this is our true spiritual act of worship. Help us to be people who are pure, who guard our hearts, guard our minds, and guard our eyes. Let us be people who are responding with worship, not responding with an act of war. We lift this to you now. Jesus' name. Amen.